Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and type in uh, or click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, and that chapter of the book provides a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself absolutely free. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app. And that app contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, 
we would be grateful if you would do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1 on your phone. It will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. And I will turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And we greatly appreciate when people choose to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And if you let us know how we can be of service, it makes it far easier for us to reach that, living into that intention. You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one. And if you are listening through the archives, you can listen to those if you don't have the ability to listen live or call in for direct support. Listening to those audio files, some of which have people being stepped through the worksheet process, can serve as a tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefits from these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. So, let us know how we can be of support. Uh, the only the other option is if you are not able to uh, call in live is to send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. And... Um, if you do that, we will do what we can to address your comment or question or testimonial on the show. And then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time uh, your comment was addressed so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback. And the archives are another powerful tool that is available because Michael and Jeannie are maintaining it. And um, it has the almost every show for the past 12-plus years. And uh, there's also another website. It's called themindshiftersacademy.org. And you can go there and get access to the information about how to join us on our Tuesday and Thursday night support groups. This is a Tuesday night, so there will be a support group. And I'd just like to remind people that there's a separate set of login information for the Tuesday and Thursday group. So if you're doing that yourself or referring somebody to the MindShiftersAcademy.org website, please remind them that there's different login information for Tuesday and different for Thursday. So how can we support you today? What's on your mind? What? What? How's your memory of what was happening on the show yesterday, which was uh, completely a monologue, um, and reading from the A Walk in the Physical book by Christian Sundberg and some of the essays that I have found of value from that book that we're reading through and commenting on taking kind of a 
same kind of a patter to it that um, the way of mastery with commentary was So instead of just reading them verbatim, I tend to uh, break in and talk about things that are getting stirred up for me from other books, other teachers, and um, it's kind of rambling at times. Um, Hopefully it's useful, it's just associations, um, because one of the things that I tend to do that I find most useful in the work I do, is to look for the similarities from one set of teachings to another. And I get it. I understand why some other people choose to look at the differences and highlight them and sometimes focus almost exclusively on the differences. I get it. They're trying to carve out their territory or protect their teaching from distortion. Um, It just is not what I have found to be of the most use. And so I I work as diligently as I can to scope out similarities and point them out wherever possible. And I hope that that is... uh, useful area code 610 Susan I believe it is hello I've been going over for the (laughs) thanks I've been going over this Golas paper the lazy man's guide to enlightenment And he says the most amazing thing that I'm trying to get my mind around. He says, it's hard to believe, but changing the content of your mind does nothing to change your vibration level. And that can be translated into whether you're in fear or whatever, but... um, He's saying the way to raise your vibration level is to feel more love. Well, I don't, I don't feel it, so I argue with that. But my intention is to hold love active and present. I was talking to Michael yesterday on the radio show about how this man talks about love. And Michael put in his thought that love is being misused here. And that holding a loving space, holding a space of love is is what this man surely means. I don't think he means you have to your heart is burning with adoration for whatever is going on. I'm sure he doesn't mean that, but he does say, start by loving your negative feelings, your own boredom, dullness, and despair right, but but but, I, but he also but he also says in that book. If you don't feel it, just start with saying it. Yeah, Did you miss that good. part? No, but I didn't think of it right now while I was reading this part. 
yeah, he says, whatever is lacking, love yourself for that, which is yeah. the same Yeah, and when idea. Michael Rice says, I'm, I'm going to change the words, bless his heart, let him change the words, especially if he'll do that. But what yeah. Michael does is he looks for those differences. He looks for any time somebody else misuses the word love to be a verb instead of a noun. Right. And he misses all of the times in work like this or the way of mastery where they say exactly the same concept that Michael is saying, Mm -hmm. that your true nature is love, that you're made of it, that Mm -hmm. it's an energy, that it's a substance, that Mm -hmm. everything is made of it. They say all of those things, and then they say, love somebody. And, And... Michael Rice, bless his heart, wants to jump on that and say that's wrong and that's a misuse, and he's trying to protect his work that way. However, yes. if he throws the baby out with the bathwater, that's to Michael's detriment because mm-hmm. the way of mastery, even you know, the Course in Miracles that he works with and promotes so much has, according to what Michael Rice would say, terrible regulatory speech right but michael looks past that for the way of for the course in miracles but wants to jump on it for anything else and so Mm -hmm. if you read carefully looking for the similarities this guy thaddeus golas says this is just the energy of what you're made of and we are all just the same substance that's in the first Mm -hmm. paragraph he says we're all beings that are of the same being. I love how he says, and, whatever it is. We are all the same, whatever it is. That's so right, nice. because all the rest of it, when you label it, just becomes words. And the words, mm-hmm. as Michael Rice would say, don't have any meaning except the meaning that's in our brains about them. Mm-hmm. And that is really, really useful. It would be, you know, behoove all of us to remind ourselves of that much more frequently than mm-hmm. getting caught up in our disagreements because of some words right. that were said. Because the fact of the matter mm-hmm. is, we don't really know what the other person is meaning or understanding when they use, even if they're using exactly the same words. Yeah. That's true. You know, M- Michael, sometime last week on Wednesday, I believe, when he was talking to um, um, Doug, he he, he, oh, he pulled yeah. out a, a quote. He pulled out a quote from uh, C. G. Young, Carl Young. Right. And and I have no idea why Michael would do this, but he pulls out a quote that he disagrees mm-hmm. with from Young. Mm-hmm. Now, now, probably 98% of what Carl Young says, Michael agrees with and wishes he could, mm-hmm. you know, have talked to Young and met him and et cetera. Yeah, and then right. he pulls out this one thing that he disagrees with and wants to harp on that. And yet, as Michael is saying those words, someone else can hear those words and say, wait a minute, 
he probably means exactly the same thing as you do. Yeah. Right? If I apply it in one way, I can see that it's pointing to a dramatic difference. If I apply it in another way, I can say, oh, it's almost exactly the same thing as you're saying. So that's what I'm encouraging us to do from the Mind Shifters Radio perspective in this first hour anyway, is to look at anything that helps you feel more loving, move forward, understand the process that you have of creating anything that's less than love in your experience, and start opening to and questioning and observing for yourself what could these teachings possibly mean when they say all there is is the energy of creation or all there is is the energy of love? And when we generate the experience of fear, it's because we're using that same creative force as the energy of love to create an experience of being separated from it, and that's the only thing we're experiencing. It's all the mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah, he's, you know, if, if you if you if you dig deeper into this Thaddeus Golas stuff, you hear him saying over and over again, "We don't really need to do anything. There's no salvation that has to be gotten here. We don't have to save the universe. We don't have to change anybody else to save them." And that is going to rankle a lot of people because they teach, "Oh, you've got to do this and you've got to do that," and and I'm. When I listen to that in the Thaddeus Golis book, I think, okay, well, he's definitely talking here about what Guy Finley would call a different level of scale, Mm -hmm. right? Because at one level, he's saying practice being love, experiencing love, extending love to whatever arises, loving whatever arises, or if you can't get to that feeling state, practice by just saying the words. I mm-hmm. I love myself for having this hatred toward this thing. Remember that part of it? You were talking about that before. Yeah. I know. Okay. That's a well, thing. So so at that level there's something to do. And at another level he says there's nothing you have to do. Because you're already as you this uh, this would be, you know, chiming in from the way of mastery that said over and over again, you remain as you were created to be. The truth that is true always is that you and your creator are one. You and the forces that gave rise to you can never be separated. And if that's true, what do you need to do? Nothing. You don't need to do anything. You could wake up to realize how what you are already doing with your mind energy is the primary thing that's creating the pain, fear, and sadness, guilt, shame, and upset that you experience. Right. I love it. He says, you can't feel pain until you're stupid. Pain is the experience (laughs) of not being able to get into the same space with others. Oh, you love it. I mean, the guy go get, he gets down there into the muck where I spend some time. So it's nice to have company in there. And he's like a little ladder. Well, I can climb out. Yeah, and he says, look, I'm sitting here penniless in this yeah. place writing this book. 
Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not even She's sure there. I'm to be doing it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Annie says, I'm writing what I need to remind myself of when I'm down in the dumps. I know. So it's basically just for it? me. If anybody else wants to read it, go ahead. Yeah. So he's not <laughs> preaching at anybody. He's not saying no. he's right and everybody else is wrong. That's so refreshing, I'm telling you. Well, I told Michael about this book and sent him the links yesterday for the PDF version and the um, Oh, he audio. didn't have to pay $265 or whatever? Right. <laughs> Did you go on? He said, oh, my God. I said, no, you don't have to do that. Um, but what was the – I was going to say something about – Oh, he was reading the reviews. Did you hear that part of the show? He, yeah. He was yeah, reading the reviews that had come in. Yeah. And a nephew didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, you know, I would, I'm thinking of suggesting to my little support group that meets on Wednesdays that we start at the beginning and we just, read sentence by sentence and let those be springboards for discussion the way you've done with the way of mastery and course in miracles uh this is a manageable size and i feel as if the guy was very diligent in what's the word concentrating sifting out everything that could be superfluous and wrote this as a distillation of all the lessons we need to learn in life. Now, maybe I super idealized the guy, or maybe it's just my upbringing and his way of speaking match in an amazing way. So that there's a lot of... Well, and as we talked about before, it's all of the other stuff that you've read and considered and chewed on and worked with that's left you in a position where this can resonate the way it does. Yeah. I haven't at had a different a time in your life. This probably wouldn't have resonated as well. That's probably true. I haven't heard anything from either grandson. I don't know if they're. You know, one of the things in my Al-Anon group, they say one of your temptations is going to be to send an article or a book or whatever to the people you want to learn. You want them to learn something. And he corrects this in this book, and yet I caved and I sent this to both my grandsons, knowing I was doing what they tell you not to do in Al-Anon, leave them alone. Let them find their way. And I didn't do it. Okay. So I'm but, busy. Loving, yeah. And and also, you didn't harm anybody. With you sharing something that you love, you're not harming anything and you're not harming the relationship. You could bring harm to the relationship if you keep harping on it, if you, you know, pester them and badger them about it. But there's no harm in sharing with someone you love something that you love and appreciate. 
That's good. I know we're we're using the word love as you know a verb, and Michael will be <laughs> correcting that when he yeah. hears it. But but it, it, we all know what we're talking about, right? It, this right, this right. thing that you deeply appreciate, you're sharing it with people that you have great affection for, mm-hmm. is not harming the people you have affection for. Mm. That's good. Thanks. It's yeah. It's a it's a a highly recommended activity that you share that which is of most value to you with anybody who's willing to participate in it. And then you just willingly release whether they appreciate it, dive into it, and use it or not. You just welcome mm-hmm. that as them living yeah. their lives just mm-hmm. as you welcome your ability to live your life by sharing it with them. That's good. Thanks for saying that. Well, anything I can do to assist you in identifying and releasing the beating yourself up that you are so good at, I'd be happy to do. Thanks, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. <laughs> Just because you're really good at it doesn't mean you need to keep doing it. That's the beating <laughs> right. yourself up part. Right, I got it. In the section called Who Are We? This is very much toward the beginning. He says, the basic function of each being is expanding and contracting, period. Expanded beings are permeative. Contracted beings are dense and impermeative. Therefore, each of us, alone or in combination, may appear as space, energy, or mass, space being the highest energy being in the middle, mass being dense, depending on the ratio of expansion to contraction chosen I love that word because I don't feel as if I'm choosing. And what kind of vibrations each of us expresses by alternating expansion and contraction. Each being controls his own vibrations. I I had a little argument with you last week about the fact I don't think I control it, but I'm beginning to think if you take the idea of having it be okay, whatever the content is, because that's not where you're operating. You're operating on a different level. Whatever the content is, it's your attitude toward the content, your mind energy, as you say, um, is the ticket, is the influencing thing. Even when you're not aware of it, that's his point. Yeah. You're doing it even if it's an unconscious process. The point of a book like this is to help people wake up to the fact that they're doing it, consciously or unconsciously, and move it Mm -hmm. into a voluntary conscious process. Yeah. And we have some say in that, which is wonderful. Once we become educated to that process we can begin to choose for it. If we don't Mm -hmm. realize that that's what's happening, we can't make the choice. Yeah. (sighs) But there's nothing that has to change 
in order for you to be able to choose, accept your awareness that you've been always choosing. Mm. Unconsciously most of the time. Well, it's been unconscious until somebody educates you about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are endless examples of that. The one that wants to come to my mind right now is kind of controversial, but you know, it has to do with religion and right. and belief. Right. If if we're taught to that, here's the way to make your life better is adhere to these beliefs and follow these rituals and do this. Then people think that's a way to advance their life and their spirituality. Right. When in truth, what's happening is the more you operate from belief. the more you rigidify or contract, if you want to use Thaddeus Golis's words, and mm-hmm. the more you, you literally separate yourself from your true spiritual nature because you're judging yourself as right or this belief as right and yourself as wrong or you as right because you, find, you align with this belief and everybody who doesn't align with it is wrong. That's, that moves you away from your true nature and a a living relationship to it. So it moves you away from spirituality when most people are engaged in in religion and ritual and belief. They don't realize that that's what they're doing. They think the active opposite of it, and in Mm -hmm. the process of that active opposite belief and thought process, they march off and do violence against others in the name of this loving God that will accept everyone and forgive everyone. And, right? Michael Rice says, you know, it, it, I'm, we're here to teach you about this loving, all, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-loving God, and if you don't accept it, we have to kill you, which is what so many conquering people have done in the name of their religion and their culture for eons on the planet. Mm-hmm. And they don't know because they've been taught this is the way. Well, that's an example of people who don't understand how they're causing their own pain and suffering with their thought process. And as soon as they're willing to open up and question and live in the observation instead of from the belief or the ritual or the dogma, now they recognize whatever they recognize. Now they can learn because they're not They're not coming from the place of, I know what I know. Yeah. And and they might learn something very different than what I learned, but at least now they're they're observing for themselves rather than closing off their mind through judgment. Right. They're permeative or permeable and expanding. We hope. Um... Gola says, physical reality is one of the biggest horror movies of all. And you know, you know how we love horror movies. 
if the universe as we see it from our vibration level is illusory, only partially true, then that's all the more reason for enjoying it and loving it instead of getting freaked by it. He mentions a little later about, take, for example, how we love to read the newspapers. We're, we're kind of addicted to reading about the horror show. Not kind of, or absolutely. Yes, yeah, we are. Right. And it's, yet we've it's got like this, the, uh, We've got this what? We've got this idea that we need to know what's going on. And yet what we're finding out, as you've said a million times, what we're finding out is a selection of dark, scary, upsetting things. Those are my interpretations and how I react. Whereas so much good is going on in the world. My argument to that is the bad stuff, even though it might be 3.5% of what's going on, looks as if it is going to destroy us before we can get our critical mass that Michael Rice talks about and correct ourselves and save the planet. Right, but it it, and so, it only looks that way if you put on a filter that makes it look that way. It doesn't look that way unless you put on a filter that says that. And if you well, find a way to, to actively look at... at all that's going on in their actual percentages, then there's no way you can say it looks like we're marching toward destruction. But when you look that's at it through really the filter of what they call news shows, where yeah. all you're getting is the worst of the worst, how many shootings were there in Cal- in Chicago this weekend? It's one of the more violent weekends of blah, blah, blah. That's mm-hmm. that's a real thing that's happened. Yeah. But it's like, how many people live in Chicago? Mm-hmm. Millions live within the city limits. Multiple yeah. millions live within the city limits. How many of those millions were doing violence with guns over this weekend? Just the absolute numbers and then the percentage ratios. It's a tiny fraction of the people that are out there doing violence with guns. And there's no mention in that. There's no mention in that of the hundreds of thousands of people who are doing loving things all weekend long, who are helping neighbors who are volunteering to take people to get their car fixed, who are driving people to doctor's appointments, people they're not even related to, who are doing things for their church groups to benefit homeless and and immigrants. And there's no mention of any of that, which is constantly going. It's not just happening in a burst of anger. So when Mm -hmm. you look at that, without the filters, just the raw data, it doesn't look like we're marching toward oblivion. You have to put it, a filter on that screens out all the good to reach that conclusion that we're marching toward oblivion. Okay, well, I shouldn't argue with you, but I'm going to argue with you. When they say that the Arctic ice is melting, that's huge. 
when you, as much faster than we thought. And when the Himalayan ice is melting and flooding villages and, and painting the water, those are huge things that are happening that seem global. And they're going to, do you remember the movie Superman? It starts out with so, so, so let me just ask you this. Let me just ask you something. This, I, for me, this is genuinely very important. Right okay. now, Susan Bingham, are you sitting on a solution to that problem that you're not sharing with us? You have no. the ability to reverse that global warming right now, and you're not doing it? That's a serious question. Do you have that capacity? No. Okay. So then why are you talking about it? Here's something you do have the ability to do. It's right there in the Thaddeus Golas book. It's right there in Course in Miracles and Way of Mastery. It's right there in Diedrich Wolzak's work. It's the essence of what Michael tries to put in his, Michael Rice put in his work. You have the ability to choose for love over fear in this present moment. Are you doing that when you're ramping up, talking about the horrors of this warming of these continents, are you choosing for love over fear in that moment? No, I'm not. All right. But okay. I'm thinking while and, and so I'm that's choosing for love. That's all I can Yeah. But while I'm choosing for love, I may burn to a crisp. That's fine because the, all of these, all of these teachings are telling you you're not your body. If you listen again to the Thaddeus Golis book, he says you you don't die when your body dies. You it's not you don't need to survive at that level. Mm-hmm. It's a fearful, usually a childhood part of us that gets so wrought up about the physical threats, etc. And it's because we become identified with it, and we think that's who or what we actually are. And that, you know, just like what Michael was saying to Doug last week in, in, in the show, uh, identifying or basing your relationship with a, a lover or your, yourself or your worldview based on fear is probably not going to be so productive. Mm-hmm. Base all of the things you're doing um, on having this strong, healthy, vibrant body and all of that because you're afraid that that's what you really are and you need that to survive in order to make any spiritual progress or whatever, that's probably not going to be very productive. It's not basing your actions in that energy of creation, that energy of love. And that is something that these teachings tell us we have the ability to choose for in each moment. Changing the status of the global warming condition is not something I have the ability to choose for in this moment. Mm-hmm. Choosing Don't for you... love in these heavily constrained situations, these very intense constrained situations, is something that all these teachings, especially a walk in the physical, say is something we're here to do. And when we do that, we create an experience of being able to choose for love in more and more difficult, challenging, 
constrained situations, and that's true creative growth. And isn't it amazing? There's no, there's, there's no choose, there's no true creative growth in choosing for fear in those because that's what we've been conditioned to do. You were going to say, isn't it amazing that what? That things are heating up on the physical level. And at the same time, more and more of this material that teaches us to choose love is coming along. It's like we're preparing for a physical tidal wave with a, with a spiritual tidal wave of equal or, I hope, superior strength and focus. And I, I, I'm just watching. I feel as if I'm standing at the divide and watching the threat and watching the, the choice that we have to choose love, and I'm just watching it. In the beginning of the Superman movie, here's this disaster going to happen, and yet there's a low-flying plane flying over these beautiful fields, maybe out west. And to me, it was like saying, folks, we're living in a dream. We're not paying attention. We've got our head in the sand. We're flying over this beautiful field, and we're thinking how wonderful it is. And the whole earth is going to come to disaster in five minutes. I'm exaggerating. But it was showing that bad things can be going on while great loving things are going on. I just don't want to be, talk about stupid. I'm probably being very stupid. But on the other hand, I don't want to stick my head in the sand and just say, oh, well, we're not physical anyway, so who cares? Well, just try to... Bring it back to instead of that, you know, all or none focus that you just jumped to again. All of this work, and and I, I, I say this quite often because it's one of my favorite things from Guy Finley. He says, "There's nothing more practical than true spirituality." So, what's practical about choosing for love? Well, if your if your goal is to change the global warming, maybe nothing is directly practical to that. But if you're looking at what do I have control over in this moment, do you have a solution to global warming that you could be applying right now, then go apply it. But if you don't, now what you have control over is whether you choose for love or fear, and you're sitting in this moment choosing for fear. That's something you could change. I'm not choosing for fear. I'm choosing for honesty. Not well. Not it certainly sounds fearful when I listen to you, and it sounds highly emotional as you ramp up. I might, you know, it could be my filter. And if if you have no fear about it, wonderful. If you're oh, choosing for love in it, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so yeah. we have a couple other hands that went up. I'm turning on the microphone oh, yeah. for 760. I believe it's Anne. Yes, yes. Um, I'm smiling um, because I just love this interaction when you, Susan, when you get on these things because I hear Dr. Kim working with you so well. To bring you back. It's almost like 
bringing you back to the other side. And then you say, but I don't, but I don't. <laughs> anyway, um, that makes me smile. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to comment way back when you were talking about giving the article, was it to one of your grandsons or something, and the Al-Anon thing, and I was just supporting what Dr. Tim said about that. He almost took the words out of my mouth as I was thinking um, the same thing is, you know, giving it to them, and I've learned these things. I'm, well, I'm learning. I'm in the process of doing this with my daughter. Hey, I can give an article, and I may even follow up and say, hey, did you have time to read it? And if she didn't, okay, fine. Then that's the end of it. I, I'm practicing learning that I can't um, push, you know, yeah. um, because then I'm pushing my perspective. But to give it at least. You know, and then may follow up once. But if they're resistant, then, oh, leave it alone. Because in other words, then that's the codependency. We keep pushing and trying to fix it. Um, anyway, I just wanted to support that. No, I liked, I liked what Dr. Tim said, and I like what you're saying there, too. Yeah. Good. It just takes a, it takes a burden off, and I think, one one of the things I had done over the years was take the um, scripture that says bear one another burdens that I was to bear them myself. And, and then I found out, you know, more recently, of course, and listening to all of um, the different things here in Michael's work and Dr. Kim's, you know, readings and stuff, that, that that's not it. I can, I can bear with them, you know, by prayer or by, yeah, giving articles or something. But then I need to let them deal with it because I have my own stuff, right? So anyway, but um, but I like all the other stuff. Um, it's a reminder, Dr. Tim, of as you work with Susan, it reminds me what I need to do different. So I appreciate the conversations always. Thanks. I'm complete. All right. Blessings. I'll mute you so you can listen in, and I'll turn on the microphone for five four one. Is this Celinda? Yes, it is. Can you Blessings. hear me all right? Welcome. Yes. Okay, I was chuckling when you were talking about regulatory speech because um, I have an, uh, a friend who's an Episcopal priest who is all excited because a Jewish gentleman wrote that God is a verb. And then Michael says God is a noun. And I'm just chuckling. I said, why does it have to be one or the other? How about let's just walk right down the middle and um, and take them both and let it sort itself out, as you said, Dr. Tim, and the languaging. We have no idea what it really means to the person saying the word unless we ask, what does this word mean to you, or unless we feel their heart energy in a way that uh, we intuit what they're saying, and it's still a good idea to ask. So I thought I'd I'd mention that. Um, I would like to uh, elaborate a little bit on educari and uh, teach. And what I'm coming to see, which may or may not be true, but what seems true to me, is that teaching is basically training. 
and to educate is to basically draw out from within that person their own learning, their own awareness um, about what is true for them. And so I thought I'd share that. And the third thing that I'd like to share, which I'm sure I've shared before, is that but. I'm really careful how I use but. Because but in many languages, I know it is in Russian and it is in um, it is in Spanish and other languages, but is a is a negation of the previous part of the sentence. And when I'm aware of that, I want to make sure that I use the word properly. And when I say something and then I say but, I just watch now and say. Does this negate what I just said? And is this what I truly mean to say? Or am I hiding something for myself? So I thought I would just share that with you. And if I want contrast, I say and. Because and is uh, a perfectly good conjunction for contrast. Well, Susan went to the store and my mother is cooking dinner, for example. So um, I just thought I'd share that because it's been helpful for me in my personal growth. Okay. Um, the the first part of your comment about you know is love uh, is love a verb or a noun? Is God a verb or a noun? Um, I would just direct us to the great minds through the centuries that have said. We cannot know. And when you look at a, a writing like the um, A Walk in the Physical, and he talks about we're going to be discussing here things that we've experienced and many people have experienced from their near-death experience, or as Michael Rice would say, the near-life experience, that go way beyond words. And, and I say they go way beyond words, each new heartbeat, right? So it's not possible to speak directly about these things. So he gives the example of linear time. And is time linear? No. Is time without any f- form or function? No. So there is linear and there's nonlinear. And so when you're not tied to a body or you're not tied to the thought process from a conscious logical mind that's been programmed to have an ego etc you can have an experience of time that that goes way beyond anything you've got words for so why can't that same be true for what's the true nature of love it's a noun it's a verb it's an energy it's an action it's all of these things who cares Let's let's say I'm going to care because I'm going to build my sense of being right or wrong around that. Okay, then it's going to be really important to me. But if I'm not trying to build my sense of right or wrong around that and the way somebody defines it, then then I'm going to start questioning, okay, so what might this person mean by that and how might I be able to connect with them and or communicate with them if I ask without demanding to, to know or be, you know, have, have the right or wrong answer so that I can understand what's their perspective. My hunch is the more we move into doing that, 
the more we're going to find out that people who say God is a verb, if they're really thoughtful people like this rabbi or whatever, that when you have the discussion, you're going to find out you don't really disagree with anything he or she is saying except for a nitpick of of the definition of a word. But the actual concept, the dynamic, the essence of expression of life and love and compassion would probably be very similar. Yes, and that's what I was trying to express, but I think you expressed it much more um, clearly and eloquently than I did. And that's fine. I, I just want to, I want to be open to the whole enchilada. So why would I lop off this or that? Um, I might observe something and say, you know, I don't, that won't work for me. But why would I judge it as somehow evil or somehow not true when I don't have a clue? Good set of questions. Good set of questions. And that's what I'm practicing now. Am I there? Of course not. But um, that it's a practice. It's a practice of opening, expanding myself. And one thing I can say about what can I do about the ice melting off of the Arctic and Antarctica and, and off the Himalayas, and I'm saying... I can't practically do anything about that directly, but I can make personal life choices within my life that I feel comfortable about without throwing them on other people um, in judgment because they're not seeing it my way. I can do my little practices of recycling or eating low on the um, on the food chain or eating. Uh, as pure food and drinking as pure water as possible and being interested in regenerative agriculture and it goes on and on and on that I am I am feeling in my heart that my little action adds to the awareness of the collective whole and the collective mindset and so any energy that I can put into that that is positive and affirmative um, as I try to watch my judgments and deal with them and be responsible for them and uh, call my soul back from them, <laughs> um, it would be a helpful thing. And so that's my, that's my joy and that's my uh, hope. And I still have my issues to deal with just like everyone else, of which death is a big one. So... Here we are. <laughs> okay, so uh, death is a big one, meaning you're you're dying soon. No, I just means that I have. Death what does that issues. mean? Of which death I have is a dying, big one? Uh, because I have my death issues. I have my fear issues around death that I'm working with, and I'm okay. working on, and then I'm 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 saying there must be another way to look at this. Um, then out of fear, and so I'm just looking at all that trust issues, all of those very basic issues that we deal with. Who am I really? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, as usual, thank you both for the uh, comments.
questions. I will mute you so you can listen in to the second hour. I, um, Susan, did you want to have any comment of rebuttal for or addition to uh, either what Ann said or Celinda said? Well, I appreciate both. And Celinda's right. I mean, what can we do? We have to go local and do what we can. And I feel as if I'm, I'm doing that. And uh, thanks for uh, listening to my rant. I just wanted to get all the way to the bottom of it. And uh, so you did. Thanks for hanging in with me. Appreciate it. Well, you're entirely welcome and deserving, and your calls are always greatly appreciated. I will mute you so you can listen in. I will remind us all that there is a support group tonight. It's a Tuesday night, and the easiest way that I know to find out the information for that is to go to mindshiftersacademy.org, the website that was established about four years ago to help expand the exposure to this work and feed people to the whyagain.org website but direct, easy access to the information about our support groups is available at mindshiftersacademy.org. And we'd be happy to have you join us or to have you pass that information along to somebody that you think might benefit. And um, tune in. We have uh, anywhere from two or three people to um, six or eight, depending upon a given week. And the more the merrier. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Good conversation. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Tuesday, June the 20th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And talking about what we can do and can't do and what's within our power. And yeah, in some areas we are definitely limited how we can reach out, but um, I'll be putting some new pictures up on our uh, on the website under our homegrown garden. We have expanded it by another 700 square feet, so now it's uh, about 3,200 square feet. And planting all native plants native to Virginia and that's actually challenging. I mean, we have been to so many flower shops and and um, ordered online and everything else to get plants that are actually native to this area. I have a program on my phone that allows me to take a picture of a plant, and it will tell me what it is, and then I can do a Google search and ask if it is native to Virginia. And we've actually found a couple of plants, um, like out on the farm and different places that are close to being um, extinct or endangered, we've ordered like uh, the purple clover, which is a, a special clover. There's like probably 20 different kinds of clover. and uh, But the purple clover is native to Virginia, so we ordered seed for that, um, trilliums. 
there's you know uh, milkweed there's just a lot of plants that uh, we don't see around here very much and so we have ordered those to add them to our garden we have uh, found out that yucca plants were native to here so we planted a couple of those we've planted fig trees and apple trees and kiwi plants and uh, we've got grapes growing and and we've planted all kinds of herbs our tomatoes and lettuce and peppers are all going really well our squash is starting to take off as is our cucumbers and we planted okra the other day so we are getting there you know there's um things you know people that are walking through the neighborhood they'll stop and talk or neighbors that are cutting their grass you know we've asked them if if they will give us their cut grass that we can put in our compost uh, as long as they're not using fertilizers or um, pesticides or whatever on their yards and so the neighbors are starting to cooperate with us and that's awesome we've um, one of the local <coughs> excuse me one of the local bakery shops saves us their coffee grounds and we go by a couple times a week and pick those up we told them that when our tomato plants and things start producing really well that we will bring them in some vegetables and so we were able to share information with them so it's been awesome just to educate people as we are learning to be able to pass that information on because we didn't know prior to doing this you know how much around is not native and there are species of birds and butterflies and bees that require certain plants to be able to thrive and to pollinate and so planting this flower garden may seem kind of frivolous to some people but it's actually going to benefit our vegetable gardens and you know a lot of the plants a lot of the things that people call weeds are actually herbal medicines and so it's been very educational to uh, go this route and uh, Michael has joined us and he doesn't even know yet I have actually applied with one of the companies that we've ordered uh, native pollinator seeds from there have they have a grant that is in combination with Toyota so I filled out the form telling them you know what all we have done what we plan to do and you know how we see that it's going to benefit and uh, what species you know it's going to help and things like that so we hold the space that we will get that grant that will definitely help and uh, so that's where we are on that so you know we can we can do little things like that to help our corner of the earth you know we may not be able to uh, solve all the global warming problems or clean up the ocean or whatever but we can do our part in our own backyard and that's a start and it's educating other people as well so I see that as a benefit plus we get to grow a lot of our own food which is good too so Michael do you want to add anything to that before I read out of uh, Michael Klinger's book sure well a thought or two that we had welcome everybody is that we can do this kind of thing in our corner of the world in every arena you know if you look at the uh, the dialogue that's going on in the political world today or the number of monologues that are running insane in our world today people can tend to feel I think at least people I've spoken to like well there's nothing I can do but 
you know, in the same way you can do something locally, whether it's carry, you know, voter registration forms and ask people, you know, ask the homeless guy, are you, are you registering to vote? Would you like some help to do it? That you can run. There are many uh, things that this, uh, this voter suppression game that's going on is very much a local game. And so getting involved, doing something can uh, can change the game for for everyone. So just thinking about what what can you do in your corner of the world that improves the lot for something like pollinators, birds, or humans, and brings things back to a balance point. So, and there's some interesting challenges in doing it. One of the uh, the new space about 700 square feet that we've had is it's it's a uh, it's on the properties on the side of a hill and so it's a pretty significant hill that runs in two directions while it's going downhill from one direction it's also going downhill in the other and so it's quite a challenge to hike around it and I've been I did a lot of that yesterday and uh, I've challenged my uh, my feet or one of them anyway uh, over challenged it to where it's not happy walking around today so there's <laughs> a little bit of personal cost in there but uh, so I'm staying out of the garden today, but I got six or seven hours in yesterday, and it was work and uh, up and down on a hill going in two directions uh, made for a challenge that uh, gave me an opportunity to do some uh, some forgiveness work on my physiological response to that uh, stress and strain on the body. So always a fun opportunity. And so you've got some reading you're going to do, sweetie. Let's go for it. All right. We are beginning the next chapter. This is in Michael Singer's um, The Untethered Soul. And we're on Chapter 7, just starting. And it's called Transcending the Tendency to Close. We've been talking about keeping open or closing down the spiritual heart. And, you know, when you go through an experience, to stay open and just let that experience flow through you and to stay connected to love instead of closing down. And uh, so that's what we have been reading. So the tendency, transcending the tendency to close. The foundations of spiritual growth and personal awakening are very much strengthened by the findings of Western science. Science has shown us how an underlying energy field forms into atoms, which then bind together into molecules and ultimately manifest into the entire physical universe. The same is true inside of us. All that goes on inside also has its foundation in an underlying energy field. It is the movements in this field that create our mental and emotional patterns as well as our inner drives, urges, and instinctual reactions. Regardless of what you call this inner force field, chi or chakri or spirit, it is an underlying energy that flows in particular patterns through your inner being. When looking at these patterns within yourself, as well as in other living species, it is not difficult to see that the most primal energy flow is the survival instinct. During eons of evolution, 
from the simplest of living forms to the most complex, there has always been the day-to-day struggle to protect oneself. In our highly evolved cooperative social structure, this survival instinct has gone through evolutionary changes. Many of us no longer lack food, water, water, clothing, or shelter, nor do we regularly face life-threatening physical danger. As a result, the protective energies have adapted toward defending the individual um, physiologically. Let me reread that. As a result, the protective energies have adapted toward defending the individual psychologically rather than physiologically. We now experience the daily need to defend our self-concepts rather than our bodies. Our major struggles end up being with our own inner fears, securities, and destructive behavior patterns and not with outside forces. Nonetheless, the same impulses that make a deer run away urge you to run away. Suppose somebody raises their voice at you or talks about an uncomfortable subject. These are not physically threatening circumstances, and yet your heart starts pumping a little faster. That's exactly what happens to deer whenever they hear a sudden sound. Their hearts start pumping faster. They either freeze or run away. In your case, however, it's not usually the kind of fear that causes you to physically run away. It's just a deep personal fear demanding protection. Since it's not socially acceptable to run into the woods and hide like a deer, you hide inside. You withdraw, close down, pull back behind your protective shield. What you are actually doing is closing down your energy centers. Even if you don't know you have energy centers, You've been closing them since kindergarten. You know exactly how to close your heart and to put up a psychological protective shield. You know exactly how to close down the centers to avoid being too receptive and sensitive to the different energies coming in and causing fear. When you close down and protect yourself, you are pulling a shell around the part of you that is weak. This is the part that feels it needs protection, even though no physical attack is taking place. You are protecting your ego, your self-concepts. Although a situation may present no physical danger, it may cause you to experience disturbance, fear, insecurity, and other emotional problems, though you feel the need to protect yourself. The problem is that the part of you that gets disturbed is way out of balance. It's so sensitive that the slightest little thing causes it to overreact. You are living on a planet spinning around the middle of outer space and you're either worrying about your blemishes, the scratch on your new car, or the fact that you burped in public. It's not healthy. If your physical body were that sensitive, you would say you were sick. But our society considers psychological sensitivities normal because most of us don't have to worry about food, clothing, or shelter We have the luxury of worrying about a spot on our pants or laughing too loud or saying something wrong. Develop this hypersensitive psyche. We constantly use out energies to close around it and protect ourselves. But this process only hides the problems that doesn't fix them. 
You're locking your illness inside yourself and it will only get worse. You will get to a point in your growth where you understand that if you protect yourself, you will never be free. It's that simple. Because you're scared, you have locked yourself within your house and pulled down all the shades. Now it's dark and you want to feel the sunlight, but you can't. It's impossible. If you close and protect yourself, you are locking this scared, insecure person within your heart. You will never be free that way. Ultimately, if you protect yourself perfectly, you will never grow. All your habits and idiosyncrasies will stay the same. Life becomes stagnant when people protect their stored issues. People say things like, you know, we don't talk about that subject around your father. There are all these rules about things that are not supposed to happen outside because they could cause disturbance inside. Living like this allows for very little spontaneous joy, enthusiasm, and excitement for life. Most people go from day to day protecting themselves and making sure nothing goes too wrong. At the end of the day, when somebody asks, how was your day? A normal response is, not too bad, or I'll survive. What is that telling you about their view of life? They see life as a threat. A good day means you made it through without getting hurt. The longer you live like this, the more closed you become. And I can stop there and let you comment, or I can keep going. I hear you talking through the wall, but not the phone. You mean you want me to take on my mute button before we start? Okay. So what he's describing here is something we've talked about several times over the years, and that is that people go into this state of sympathetic dominance instead of functioning as they're designed to. How how second nature that's become for most people. You know, if we look down through history, and this is something that's relative to what's going on in the world today, you know, Nazi Germany, or if you look at dictatorships all over the world, they they rise, they thrive, or or they have risen and thrived in the past on basically instilling fear and hostility in people. And when people lock into those energies, those energies are restrictive. They're closing energies. They close down circulation. They close down physiological, mental, emotional function. They literally close, close down higher brain function. So what happens when one starts to play life out of this hostility and fear game, it's been called to a great degree socialization, that eradicates vision, it blocks truth, and it blocks love from entering into one's mind. And if we look historically, there was a group of people back in Greece called the sophists and the way that we're presenting that word today sophist is uh, is sophistry or is uh, is something about wisdom but in fact the sophist was a greek philosopher who knew how to lie and make their lies appear true true and they literally traveled around greece working for the elite teaching their children how to make their lives sound true. 
how to convince others for personal gain that their lies and their frauds were meaningful. So when you talk about the sophist, you're talking about someone who is a subtle liar who can make people believe what they have to say. And once this ability to get lost in this fraud was firmly implanted in people's minds, the natural human instinct to function as love toward all neighbors is displaced. And it's displaced by fear and hostility. You listen to the conversations going on to, in, the, in the culture today and the violence that's going, just the verbal violence, let alone the physical. And so when this process is complete and people have, have blocked out of themselves the awareness of who they are as love, then it's not long before violence or mass murder, you know, come into the culture. So when people buy into lies, hate, violence, and the verbal or actual destruction of others becomes acceptable. You know, the, the, we, we listed in the political arena, and you just listen to the amount of hate speech there is about anybody who doesn't agree with, you know, whatever, you know, the politician saying it becomes a reason even for people in one's own you, you look at what's going on today people in one's own party all of a sudden they become the object of hate when they no longer agree with the insanity that's being done and sadly this happens in families in communities in nations when love true human life is sold out for gain and that violence always begins with words. And when that becomes acceptable, you know, when decent speech and, and a harmony between people leaves the public square, violence isn't far behind. You know, just listen to the national political rhetoric today and you see how far away from human life people have become. Listen to how it's it's become habit and, and it's being normalized to tear down someone else. And so some people play on one side of the game and others work on the other side to work toward decency. When the destruction and degrading of others with increasingly vicious words, either in public or private, becomes the norm, sadly the killing of neighbors isn't far behind. It becomes what has been referred to politically as the final solution, taking out somebody who doesn't agree with another rather than having discord. So, okay, so we don't agree on everything or we don't agree on anything. There's no reason to do violence to each other unless we've locked into, and I'm, you know, this happens in a family system and all the way up to the global games that take place. And when people act like this is normal, when they don't speak up, when they don't uh, do something about it, take action. You know, the unwillingness of good people to act, to take responsibility for and heal, it allows this scourge of humanity that arises generation upon generation to destroy. 
sadly, that's, that ideology is rising to power here in America. It took place back in the late 30s in Germany. And people across all spectrums, political, religious, corporate, foreign dark money, education, legal media, they're lining up on one side or the other, either decency or that totalitarian game. And when that type of separation between family members happens, it will tend to happen in greater and greater ways around the globe. And the option that we're offering is to really recognize what this human mind is designed for, what it's designed to be fueled by. And Michael hasn't said it directly in his book as yet, but our, our premise, the bottom line that we're functioning from is that if human life is to survive, then human life being love has to be present and be the mainspring of activity, whether that activity is in the realm of thinking, in the realm of action, in the realm of interaction with others. And if one has in their family system or you know, community system have, have bought into or locked into this hostility or fear game, which displaces human life, then it's time for us to begin to do our work, step inside ourselves, and do the next level of what needs to happen. Otherwise, hate becomes the brush with which others are painted, and different disinformation and propaganda destroy. So we're, we're here to literally bring forward a set of tools and an agenda. Very clearly we have an agenda. And the agenda is to open the space of learning for each and every one of us to discover the truth of who we are and bring that truth into expression in our family systems, in our communities, in our whole culture. Confronting the hostility and fear in oneself can be a challenging game. And in fact, you know, over the centuries, kings have learned to do that, have learned to put people into this sympathetic dominant state where higher mental functions are literally, because of the shunting of blood flow away from the higher centers of the brain, those centers of the brain fail and people just get locked into that brainwashed state and buy into a life based in hostility and fear. And you listen to Yeshua couple thousand years back and you hear you hear the statement being made do not be molded by the world because if you are molded by the world you'll end up molding literally it's what kills us we're not designed to function out of hostility or fear we're not designed to have any form of hostility or fear within us and Michael Singer with his book is bringing forward from the Eastern perspective a way of approaching and I look forward to I haven't read Michael's book as yet I look forward to uh, hearing the 
solutions that he gives us. Do we have a solution coming up, Sweetie? You want to read a little more? Sure. So if you really want to grow, you have to do the opposite. Real spiritual growth happens when there is only one of you inside. There's not a part that's scared and another part that's protecting the part that's scared. All parts are unified because there is no part of you that you're not willing to see because there is no part of you that you're not willing to see. The mind is no longer divided into the conscious and subconscious. Everything you see inside is just something you see inside. It's not you. It's what you see. There is simply the pure energy pouring inside of you that creates the ripples of thoughts and emotions and there is the consciousness that's aware of it. There is simply you watching the dance of the sights. In order to reach this state of awareness, you must let your entire psyche surface, every little separated piece of it, must be permitted to pass through. Right now, Many fragmented parts of your psyche are held within you. If you want to be free, it all has to be equally exposed to your awareness and release. But it will never get exposed to closing yourself. After all, the purpose of closing was to make sure that the sensitive parts of you don't get exposed. So you catch on that no matter how much pain the exposure creates, you are willing to pay that price for freedom. When you are no longer willing to identify with that part of you that is separating itself into a million pieces, you're ready for real growth. Begin by seeing the tendency to protect and defend yourself. There is a very deep, innate tendency to close, especially around your soft spots. But eventually you will notice that closing creates tremendous work. Once you close, you have to make sure that you protect that what you protected doesn't get disturbed. You then carry this task for the rest of your life. The alternative is to become conscious enough to simply watch the part of your being that is constantly trying to protect itself. You can then give yourself the ultimate gift by deciding not to do that anymore. You decide instead to get rid of that part. I guess that's our forgiveness. He doesn't call it that, but being the observer and and uh, then letting it go. You start by watching life and noticing the constant flow of people and situations that hit your stuff every day. How often do you find yourself trying to protect and defend that weak part of you? You feel like the world wants to get right at it. Every place you go, there's someone or something trying to disturb you, trying to get your goat. Why not let them have Why it? Why is this happening to me again? What is it you say if they're trying to get your goat or um, get rid of your goat or something like that? Get rid of your goat. That's it. Yes. That's yeah. where forgiveness comes in. <laughs> so why not let them have it? If you don't really want it, then don't protect it. The reward for not protecting your psyche is liberation. You are free to walk through this world without a problem on your mind. You are just having fun experiencing whatever happens next because you got rid of that scared part of you. 
You don't ever have to worry about getting hurt or disturbed. You no longer have to listen to, what will they think of me? Or, oh God, I wish I hadn't said that. It sounded so stupid. You just go about your business and put your whole being into whatever's happening instead of putting your whole being into your personal sensitivities. Once you've made the commitment to free yourself of that scared person inside, you will notice that there is a clear decision point at which your growth takes place. Spiritual growth is about the point at which you start to feel your energy change. For instance, somebody says something and you start to feel the energy get a little strange inside. You actually start to feel a tightening. That is your cue, time to grow. It's not time to defend yourself because you don't want that part, the part of you that you would be defending. If you don't want it, let it go. You will eventually get conscious enough so that the minute you see the energy start getting strange, you stop. You stop getting involved in the energy. If it normally causes you to start talking, stop talking. You just stop mid-sentence because you know where it will go if you continue. The moment you see the energy getting imbalanced inside, the moment you see the heart starting to tense and get defensive, stop. It's that thing that Bob Newhart does, just stop it. (laughs) What exactly does it mean to stop? It's something that you do inside. It's called letting go. When you let go, you are falling behind the energy that is trying to pull you into it. Your energies inside have power. They are very strong and they draw your awareness into them. If a hammer falls on your toe, all of your awareness will focus there. If, and cancel that thought as already said, if there's a sudden loud sound again, All your awareness will focus there. Consciousness has the tendency to focus on disturbance, and disturbed energies inside are no exception. These disturbed energies will draw your consciousness to them, but you don't have to let that happen. You really do have the ability to disengage and fall back behind them. When the energies inside start to move, you do not have to go there. For instance, when your thoughts start, you do not have to go with them. Let's say you're outside taking a walk and a car drives by, and your thoughts say, boy, I wish I had that car. You could just keep on walking, but instead you start getting upset. You want a car like that, but your salary isn't high enough. So you begin thinking about how can you get a raise or a different job. You didn't have to do all of that. It could have just been, here comes the car and there it goes. And here comes the thought, and there it goes. They're both gone together because you didn't go with them. That's what's called being centered. You want me to stop there? Sure. Yeah. He's, you know, he's alluding to that, you know, that idea that we often express of stepping back from your own mind, becoming the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, and the actor apart from the actions, and recognizing that. You know, the only time that the mind is in its upset state is when someone, yourself or someone else, is violating a goal. You know, unless somebody's just a generally miserable person, it's when someone's violating a goal. Now, we say we're upset because this person's doing whatever it is they're doing. The truth is we're never upset 
because someone's doing whatever it is they're doing. We're upset because there's upset in us, and our upset relates to what that person's doing. So that person's actions or activity that are in violation of a goal that we hold for them triggers what needs to be healed in the mind into activity. And once you become aware of it, that's where the letting go process takes place. I'm not sure what technology Michael's going to offer in his book for doing that, but I have not found anything that consistently, persistently allows us to confront and remove the energetic patterns based in hostility. I've not found anything that comes close to doing that aside from forgiveness. And the action of forgiveness is carried out by recognizing the power of a goal. I love how the Course in Miracles speaks about it. It says you, you must be aware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be. When you hold a goal, that goal becomes a driver that causes your mind to organize your perceptual mind in a certain way. And if the energy triggered into activity by someone violating that goal is based in some form of hostility or fear, the mind literally uses that hostility or fear to build a picture of whoever or whatever it is that we're focused on. And when we do that, we, we look at a picture in our minds that our mind is generated out of our own hostility or fear about this person over here, Bill, and we then believe that we're upset by what Bill's doing. And it's the biggest lie that's ever been told. We're upset by what's going on in our own minds, and it's our focus on Bill that allows us literally to project that pained content into our brain's image of Bill. And that happens because Bill is the focus of attention. His behavior has violated a goal, and the mind, my mind, now uses its unresolved hostility or fear-based content triggered into activity to become the root of the output of my mind, and that's called projection. When I take content from my mind, you know, we live in a culture that tends to tell us that projection is, you know, taking something that's inside of you and putting it outside of you. But that's not projection at all. That's externalization. If I build a picture in my mind, perception, and then I pretend that the perception is actually outside of me, now I'm externalizing. But the projection itself is when there's content activated in me, and because I hold a goal for someone, maybe it's for myself, my picture in the mirror, if I upset is triggered into activity and I lay that untoward activity or energy on the goal that I hold for myself, then I'll get into the game of self-blame. Another opportunity to let go. Blame of another. Another opportunity to let go. And the core of the forgiveness process, which at first seems kind of silly, at least to most people when they first entertain it, is recognizing that my mind's creating this, this distorted picture that blocks love by hostility or fear because I have a goal for someone. When I recognize that that goal is the driver for what my mind is organizing, the way I'm looking at my world, at any moment, I can collapse that projection, that 
resonance of some form of hostility or fear that I'm using to build my brain's image of Bill and say, Bill has really upset me. When I cancel the goal that I hold for Bill, then that upset projection collapses. When it collapses, it collapses in on the root of itself. And so I've given myself a chance to go back in time and look at the underlying dynamic by simply canceling the goal that I hold that's causing my perception, the belief that builds the problem in my life, you know, that problem that I've been through 87 different times with 42 different people, like delivers me to the part of my own mind that I've hidden from myself by denial. And denial in this work is the act of thinking or speaking. As if something outside of us is the cause of what's moving inside of us. When I recognize that goal, it's what's causing my mind to use my own unrewarding energies. You know, oftentimes when people read my book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, they kind of interpret the title to be, Why Are They Doing This to Me Again?, rather than why am I doing this to myself again? The why is this happening to me again experience is not that, you know, Bill did this today and is the cause of my pain, and last month it was Harry, and, you know, 20 years ago it was my father, and 30 years ago it was my neighbor, whatever. You know, a whole variety of people populate the mind, but the underlying dynamic that's common is a perception based in pain. In Aramaic, the word forgive is shebag. It means to cancel. And what I need to cancel in a given moment where my mind is generating pain or trauma or upset or any of those dynamics I was talking about earlier that kings have traditionally put in people's minds. You know, people in hostility or fear are pretty stupid. I love what uh, Albert Einstein says about anger. He says, anger is only found in the bosom of fools. Anger is an anesthetic. Anger is a drug that keeps me from seeing clearly and causes my mind to project a false picture that anesthetizes me against the real energy that's moving in me, the repeating energy. So the why is this happening to me again uh, concept is not about how people come and do it over and over and over, although that's the projection. It's about how my mind is doing it to me over and over and over with the unresolved energy that's triggered into activity as a result of the goal that I hold. So the core of the forgiveness process to most people on first sighting is seems really silly and I can remember when I first discovered this in the Aramaic, when I first understood this, teaching it occasionally. In the early days, it was just something I'd throw into a workshop I was doing. And over time, I had people come back to me saying, you know, I've been doing that canceling of goal things. That's really powerful. And I kind of go, really? Because I didn't understand what was going on. It took me decades to understand 
why you do such a crazy thing as cancel a perfectly good goal. And what it does, it unmasks the underlying dissociated content of the mind. It puts us back in full-blown direct relationship with what we've been hiding from ourselves when we put it in our brain's image of someone else. Oh, it's my sister that makes me so mad. Oh, it's my brother. Oh, it's my whoever, whatever. Well, if you're mad, there's a reason. There's mad in you, that's all. But if you allow your mind to take over when somebody comes along and does something that violates that goal you hold for them, if you allow your mind to simply generate out of that hostility that's activated a picture of someone else, you keep believing that it's someone else, someone else, someone else, and someone else. And that's the big lie. You'll notice if you've been through a particular painful reality, 87 different times with 42 different people, you're the one that was there every time. It's about you. And recognizing that within a community setting, within a family setting, within any cultural setting, and inviting large numbers of people to pick up the tool of forgiveness and collapse the mind's projections that it's about somebody else makes a massive difference within that community because when you recognize that canceling a goal collapses the perception of the moment and shows the underlying energetic dynamic that's hidden and you bring that dynamic forward in the presence of love, you'll notice in step four in the worksheet, just before you cancel the goal that you identify in step three, you bring love present to your mind. And you know, we've talked many times about taking time to cultivate your ability and your relation, your ability to bring forward and your relationship with yourself is love. So in those, those moments where healing is needed, you're able to bring forward the active presence of love. And whenever something untoward, hidden in the mind, surfaces in the presence of love, that untoward energy literally is weakened, begins to dissolve. Its hold over us weakened. And as you do your work, you find yourself becoming progressively more able to live in serenity, even in the midst of things that yesterday you'd have been going berserk over. And to do, that, to do that work takes time and takes patience and the willingness to do your work and letting go of that, the conversation about how it's all everybody else's fault. Because your why is this happening to me again is about the content of your mind. My why is this happening to me again experience is about the content of my mind. If I make a picture of you out of it, if you make a picture of me out of it, we can go to war over me blaming you and you blaming me. And, you know, most of the world is at war because they are card-carrying members of the one world religion of blame. Time to recognize that if you've been through a particular painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people, 
that you are the one that was there every time that needs to be done is yours and it's about you to literally free your physiology literally from the capacity to generate any form of hostility or fear now the non-being mind says but Michael I'm only in hostility or fear because of what Bill did no you're not you're not still your fear because there's not still your fear in you. If it wasn't in you, you wouldn't be feeling it. So to grow beyond the three or four year old level of maturity that's blaming everybody else, step up to the plate and take responsibility, especially for your internally generated hostility or fear. And each time you use that tool, literally the awareness of self as love becomes strengthened and the energy of hostility or fear becomes weakened. It is a process. And as that process goes on with each individual, people find themselves more and more able to live in a state of serenity rather than a state of some form of hostility or fear. Once you brought your mind into alignment with that serenity, then your mind becomes the servant it was designed to be rather than carrying around all the projections about how it's everybody else's fault. So that's what we're here to bring forward with this work, and we're delighted that you're part of the conversation. If you're out there in listener land and you have a thought for us, a question, some way we can support you. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly on your phone, and Jeannie will be able to see you in our control panel. And then if you have a question and you push 1, that will raise a hand in the control panel, and Jeannie will know that you want to speak with us. So if you're out there in listener land, what's on your mind? We've got about 15 minutes left. So there's lots of time for conversation. How can we support you? What's on your mind? How can we refine this for you? Is there something going on for you right now that some refinement is appropriate or would be helpful? Push one, let's talk about it. It is all quiet on this end. All quiet. We have had a couple of uh, inquiries about the announcement that we made yesterday about uh, doing an intensive, an intuitive development intensive. We do not have the flyer yet. As soon as we have that, it'll be out on the website under schedules, and we will announce it. But you might want to mention what we're looking at. Yeah, it looks like we're likely going to do, if there's enough interest to do it. There have been some inquiries, actually, mostly through the uh, London England Book Club to do an intuitive development intensive through Zoom. And intuitive development is a, a workshop that we do, a practicum that puts people into a space where they're interacting with another and utilizing the intuitive faculty to bring information into awareness without using the physical senses. 
And the, the value in it lies in the fact that you're working with a partner or partners who give you feedback when you come up with. We'll be doing a whole series of exercises to quiet the mind and to open that intuitive faculty so that it's like you develop a set of inner ears that when you get the feedback often enough that goes, oh, that's what it feels like when my intuition's working. When you get that, then all of a sudden you start to get intuitive insight that's just monumental and powerfully life-changing. We'll actually do, um, as part of the intensive, there'll be a personal code evaluation pre and post, because, of course, the whole objective of that intensive with all intensives is the healing process. We'll do why is this happening to me again, the forgiveness workshop. We'll do the how I heal, which is an exercise we do for getting people to detail what their healing process is going to look like so that when it happens, the mind can't trick them into thinking that, oh, here we go again, it's somebody else's fault. So when you detail specifically exactly what your healing process is going to look like, and there's a a worksheet that we've got for doing that, that translates the unconsciousness of projection into, oh, that's what my healing process is going to look like. And it's specific and identifiable for every person. So we'll be doing that as part of the intensive. We'll do mind shifters and still point breathing. There will be still point breathing as part of it. And then we'll do an ongoing series of exercises through the 10 weeks. And the workshop will be on a Saturday and a Sunday. Not sure exactly what the hours are going to look like yet. But we're probably going to do it earlier in the day, specifically so that the folks in Europe that are running five, six, seven hours behind us will be able to participate without, you know, being up till three in the morning. So that's kind of the plan. If you're interested, drop Jeannie a note, J-E-A-N-I-E at W-H-Y-Again.org, Jeannie at Y-Again.org. And leave her your contact information and name. And then you have an interest in the intuitive development intensive. And as it comes together, if you're interested, we'll work to get you registered and you'll be part of the process. This will be our first online intensive in a couple of years. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it comes together and what we do with it. And beyond that, What's on your mind? How can we support you? Also, you something to um, share? Remind everybody to um, continue to hold Yurate and her son Domus and the entire family in uh, loving support, sending good energy their way. Uh, it looks like he's got sure. a fantastic group of friends that are uh, definitely giving him moral support that holds them in the space. Yeah, a number of people came to a, I guess you could call it a party that they had for him, seeing as how he's doing chemo, and he was losing his hair, so he shaved his head, and a number of friends came together and said, we're going to do that with you. And I guess a bunch of people, I don't know how many, it sounded like maybe 40 or 50 people uh, arrived, and uh, they hung out and kind of just... Cherish each other together, and uh, and I guess there was a lot of hair left over. So, 
pretty sweet that uh, this young man has been able to attract that kind of support to his life for, and the family. It's a pretty tough place to be. Sadly, a lot of uh, tough things happening in families these days. And once again, the introduction of the forgiveness process is one of the keys in bringing healing. So pass it on. And I'm kind of complete with what I've got to say. If nobody else has a question or a thought for us, Jeannie, I would rather continue for the next, well, what have we got, 13 or 14 Seven minutes? minutes? Seven minutes? Seven. Seven. Yep. Oh, my clock must be off here. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. last call, push one. Let's have a conversation. Otherwise, I'm going to invite everybody to have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Thanks for joining us. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mindshifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.